band. Uh, you can uh, you can grab a seat. I'd love you to uh, sit back and relax. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And if you're uh, this is your first time uh, with us tonight, or your first time back to church in a long time, we want you to know that we are so so glad that you're here. And as Emma and Clarissa said, we actually created this space with you in mind because uh, we want this to be a place that unchurched people would love to attend. And so just to, to make you feel comfortable, I want to let you know what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And we've been looking at this idea. Um, we, we've, uh, we're partway through a series called Making Sense of God. And the big uh, reason we've been talking about it is because we believe that making sense of God uh, will help you make the best sense of your life. And, and I understand that some of you are here, you, you're not sure if God exists, but maybe you believe there's, there's something more to the universe. You wouldn't really know what label you put on it, but you're like, there's there's something, but I'm not really quite sure what. Uh, and that's okay, because what we would say is that if there's something more to this universe, then there's something more to your life. If there's something behind this universe, whatever that name is that you want to put on it, then automatically there is something more to your life. And the reason we're doing this series is because life gets busy. You know, deadlines occur, uni assignments come up, things happen at home that you need to attend. And so we, we, life is so chaotic that often we don't get the opportunity to pause, to stop, and to ask some of those bigger questions like, like where, what is the meaning of life? Where is purpose found? And, and our agenda through this entire series is really, really simple, that regardless of where you're at, regardless of what your faith journey looks like, this is our hope for you, that you would take a step forward in your journey. That you would take one step forward in your faith journey and that, that the, at the end of these four weeks, you would say, you know what, I, I, make, I have a little bit more sense of God. I feel like I've made a little bit more sense of God as a result of this series. And tonight we're going to jump into part three. But before we do, uh, let me bring you up the speed of where we've been. Because uh, maybe where we've been, if you missed it, uh, you, you might want to dive in and, and have a look. And in part one, we looked at this idea of meaning. You know, can we have meaning in life without God? Or if God exists, where does meaning come from? Last week, we looked at this idea and we debunked the myth that God actually wants to take away your freedom. And, and if either of those two jump out at you as you're like, I wish I was here for that or I'd like to explore that, you can actually listen to parts one and two online on our iTunes or our SoundCloud. You can go up and you can re-listen to that um, and explore those. Next week, uh, next week we're going to actually look at this one, doubt. Because I think this is a big one because there are a lot of followers of Jesus who have a lot of doubts but they don't feel, whether it's because of the church they grew up in or maybe the, 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 the family dynamic at home, you don't feel like you can ask, talk about your doubts. You don't feel like you can be a legit follower of Jesus if you have doubt. And then maybe there are some of you out there who are like, you know what, maybe I would consider following Jesus, but I feel like I have to have it all together. I feel like I have to have every single I dotted and T crossed and I have to have all the answers and I've got doubts and so I think that maybe disqualifies me. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But this week in part three, um, I'll be honest, for me personally, this is the most difficult uh, part to write. It's also going to be the most difficult part to communicate because uh, we're talking about this idea, suffering. And the reason, the reason I found this particularly difficult is not because it's an intellectually challenging topic. Uh, in fact, uh, for philosophers and theologians, people who are paid in universities to debate this question on an intellectual level, it has been put to bed uh, for years. No philosopher on the planet believed that evil existing and God existing are inconsistent. 
And if you don't believe me on that one, Google is your friend. Google philosophers, Google theologians, and you'll, what you'll discover is no legitimate philosopher, and when I say legitimate, I mean someone who's employed by a university, who gets paid to write academic journals, who this is their full-time job, Christians and non-Christians alike say, you know what, there is no logical inconsistency with evil existing and God existing. Sure, if you go and like, read an internet blogger, uh, maybe you'll find some inconsistencies, but no one who is paid to do this for a living sees this as an inconsistency. The reason that this is, is challenging, right, is because when we come to this idea of suffering, for so many of us here, we actually don't come at it from an intellectual level. We actually come at it from our experience. And when you've experienced suffering, when you've got a name to place to it or a face to place for it, the challenge is that intellectual answers never seem to emotionally satisfy. That feeling that suffering left in your life if someone gives you, well, hey, look, there's no logical inconsistency in believing in God and, and evil, so you're good to go, right? You're like, no, I'm not good to go. Like, I'm not satisfied about that. And here's the issue, and, and we really can't blame philosophers for this, because philosophers are called to say what they think, not what they feel. They're called to address the intellectual problem. They're not called to address this feeling side of things. But the problem for you and the problem for me is that when it comes to suffering, all of us have one of these. All of us have a story. And I'm sure if we were to go around the room tonight, we would find that every single person has a story of suffering of some kind in their life, where either it's been uh, affected them, or they've seen it affect someone they care about. Everyone, you know, has a story related to this. Maybe for some of you, uh, it, it happens in your family of origin. Maybe there was emotional abuse. Maybe there was physical abuse growing up. Maybe for some of you, you've had to suffer the loss of a close friend or a sibling or a parent or a grandparent. Maybe for some of you, there was a diagnosis that, that someone close to you got or that you got and, and you had a journey with that person as as uh, they underwent chemotherapy and you saw the challenge and you saw how hard it is and you saw how difficult it was and the whole time you just kept saying, why God, why? Maybe, maybe for some of you, uh, someone you've, uh, maybe your grandparents or a mentor went through the battle of Alzheimer's and dementia and they went from this lively, sprightly person and all of a sudden right in front of your eyes they just begin to lose their grip on reality and they begin to forget who they are and they begin to forget how they make sense of the world, and ultimately they begin to forget who you are and your relationship to them, and, and you're sitting there, and you're watching this story play out, and, and you're sitting there, and you're getting frustrated, and you're like, where is God in the midst of this? And in the midst of this story, you don't need an intellectual answer. What we're looking for is something to fill the hole of why. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I experiencing this? And often it's true that our personal pain motivates our private convictions. So often when we experience personal suffering, when we experience it up close and personal, what it leads to is it changes those convictions that we hold inside. And there are some of you here tonight who because of your personal pain, what has happened is, is you've said, you know what, I'm done with God. I'm done with this whole God thing. I don't believe that God could possibly exist because of what I've seen. And maybe for others of you, you haven't walked away from God because of personal pain. 
But maybe it's been slightly different where you said, you know what? If God does exist, I don't want to have anything to do with him, her, or it. If God does exist and this happened to me, I don't want to have a bar of a person who's supposed to love me and yet allows me to experience this. And so your private conviction shifted because of the personal pain that you experienced. But here's the thing, and, and I don't mean this to be like a, like a, um, a non-emotional question. I don't want you to think that I'm being rude, but, but I have to ask you this. If you want to push back, if you want to walk away, I totally get that. In fact, if I was in your shoes, if I'd experienced the suffering that you'd experienced, I have no doubt that I would honestly draw the same conclusion of God as you have. But we've all got to answer this question. What's your alternative explanation? If not God, if God doesn't exist, or if you don't want to have anything to do with God, what's your alternative explanation for why suffering exists in the world? And the reason this is so important is because of this. Abandoning belief in God doesn't make the problem of suffering easier to handle. Just because you take God off the table, just because you say, I don't want to have anything to do with God or I want to say that God doesn't exist, suffering is still on the table. Just look at the world around us. And if you don't want to have anything to do with God, that's fine, but, but you have to have an, another answer. It, you can't just say, well, I don't like the, the answer that's provided, so therefore it's wrong. You've got to come up with another answer explanation of your own because every worldview has to answer evil and suffering and so what we are going to do tonight in the 10 or 15 minutes that we have remaining uh, is we are going to whiz through thousands and thousands worth of uh, intellectual arguments and, and uh, look at a whole heap of different worldviews. We're going to condense it down to 10 or 15 minutes and I'm going to give you an overview of all the world religions' response to evil and suffering and then what Jesus has to say and then the Christian view. Some of you think I'm joking. I'm not. I'm being dead serious. Like, strap your helmets on. It's going to be a bumpy ride but I promise we'll get there in the end because at the end of the day, I want you to at least be able to have an alternative explanation. If you don't want to follow Jesus, that's fine, but you've got to have an alternative, so you should know what the alternative explanations are. You ready? Let's go. The first one's Buddhism. Buddhism, Buddhism is like this, like, again, Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age, we'll look at in a minute too. They're these big blanket umbrella terms, and they're often difficult because there's so many different streams of thought within them. A lot of them uh, counteract each other. They're not logically consistent from a Western worldview, so... If some of you have had experience, I'm just going to show you what some of the mainstream. So Buddhism says this about suffering, that you transcend suffering through detachment. In other words, if you want to get past suffering, what you need to do is actually detach yourself from the world. And in detaching yourself from the world, you will be able to transcend and move past the suffering that you experience. Another way to kind of say that is if you kill desire and you no longer long for anything. Kill desire, and you no longer long for anything. Where I think the big problem with this is, what Buddhism actually wants you to do, ultimately, is detach from everything. Detach from love, detach from friendships, detach from the people you care about, detach from your hope, detach from your dreams, because at the end of the day, all of those things are desires. Friendship, love, community. That's all a desire. Ultimately, what Buddhism says is you need to be as isolated as possible and detached from the rest of the world so you, that you can enter nirvana. And when you will do, that's how you will transcend suffering. 
Here's the next one. Islam. Islam addresses suffering by actually saying that it is your personal sin against Allah. Okay, within Islam, Allah is a God of vengeance primarily. And so your personal sin is, uh, and what you experience through suffering is Allah's vengeance on you for your personal sin. Hinduism. Again, this is, this is one that has thousands and thousands of gods. In fact, some of you who, who maybe uh, New Age is really popular in our culture and, and New Age borrows quite heavily from parts of Hinduism. And so Hinduism says this as a word you're probably going to be familiar with in some form. Suffering is karma. Oh, it's karma. Here's what karma is. What you experience is on you. In other words, when you lost that family member, when someone in your life experienced suffering and you witnessed it and it affected you, that's on you. Either through this life or a past life, something you have done has led to what you are experiencing right now. So you can't be mad and you can't be annoyed because ultimately it's on you. That's what Hinduism says. New Age. New Age is probably the most difficult to like break down because New Age is just all over the shop. It's this huge blank, blanket umbrella. But here is the, one of the general themes that flies through New Age thinking when it comes to suffering. You ready? Positive thinking defeats negative reality. There should be an S on the end of defeats. Positive thinking defeats negative reality. And, and on, a, on a very, very surface level, there is some benefit to positive thinking. There is some benefit to changing the way that you understand your circumstances. But it has its limits. If you've ever broken your leg, positive thinking will not change the reality that your leg is broken. If you've ever seen anyone get a diagnosis, positive thinking will not change the reality and will not defeat the reality that that person has cancer. It will not bring that person back from the grave. Positive thinking does not ultimately defeat a negative reality. Because just because you think differently doesn't mean that the reality actually changes at all. So when we come to Christianity, the, oh sorry, this is the last one. Wow, how could I forget this one? Naturalism and atheism. I forgot this. Now, I know that, that if, if there are some of you who are, uh, who are atheists in the room and you're well versed on this, maybe you'll say, hey Chris, you know, there, there's different strands of atheism as opposed to naturalism. I know that, but naturalism is the main, is the most predominant category that atheists will fall into. And, and naturalism on a basic level just says that the physical world is all there is. That's it. The world that we're experiencing right now is all that there is. There's nothing beyond it. There's nothing behind it. You and I do not have a spiritual component to us. We are just atoms that have smashed together and now we are living by chance in this world. And on a naturalism, atheism level, this is, this is how naturalism and atheism answers this question. It says, suffering is random. Because ultimately, you are random. You are just a bunch of particles that has smashed together and evolved through no design, with no direction, and so ultimately we are here because of random chance, which means that all suffering is random. In fact, in fact, atheism, and you can read about this as well, um, Google again is your friend on this one, atheism actually says if you want to inflict 
suffering to move yourself forward, well, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, it's all about progressing yourself as far as you can. And if you're here by random chance, then it's okay because all suffering is random in the first place. And if you're bigger and you're stronger and you're tougher, you can read about it. In fact, there's a horrible article uh, that's written by a guy called Steven Pinker. He's, a, he's, a, he's from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology where he writes an article about this horrific event that occurred uh, in America where a, a, a teenage girl got pregnant at a formal. She gave birth to her baby in the toilets at the formal, strangled it to death, and then went out and continued to party. And Steven Pinker says, well, it's just random, so what this person did isn't, there's nothing wrong with it, because it's all random anyway. Google is your friend on this one. However, we haven't really answered the question, right? Where do evil and suffering come from? And this is a complex, this is a complex question. Let's not put that aside. This is a complex, complex question. So I'm going to do the best that I can in one sentence to answer this incredibly complex question from the Christian worldview. And then I'm going to give you Christianity's answer to evil and suffering. I believe, and, and the followers of Jesus believe, that evil and suffering come from uh, the paradox that freedom creates. See, at the center of Christianity is this word, and it's this word that everyone wants, it's called love. But the problem with love is that you can't force it on someone else. By definition, if someone does something forced, and they don't have an option, and it's not free, it's not love. And, and you've seen this, right? When you got into a fight with your brother and your sister and you were younger, and your parents came in and they saw what was happening and you, they wanted you to apologize, and you're like, I'm not apologizing. I didn't do anything wrong. They did something wrong. In fact, some of you right now, you're, you're remembering back to a time when that happened, and you're like, I still didn't do anything wrong. And I ended up apologizing. And your parents sit there and they go, no, you need to apologize. And you're like, I won't. I won't. And then they say, well, there's no dessert unless you apologize. And you're like, fine, I'll apologize. Sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. And you don't mean it, right? And they know you don't mean it because you can't force someone to freely do something that they don't want to do. And, and when you give people the opportunity to freely love, which is what God wants, for us to freely love Him, at the same time as you give people the incredible capacity for good, Freedom comes with it, the incredible capacity for evil as well. You cannot have freedom without the capacity for evil and the capacity for good. And so how does Christianity address or answer this problem of suffering? Well, it all starts with this guy, Jesus. Surprise! But the thing with Jesus is that Jesus doesn't answer suffering in the way that you would expect. Jesus suffered when he died. In fact, Jesus uh, was on the cross for somewhere between three to six hours and, and he bled out. And he bled out after he was tortured. And finally, he died after his legs were broken and he, he suffocated. And what's particularly interesting about Jesus is Jesus doesn't go to his death as a hero. You know, there are people throughout history who have gone to their deaths more admirably than Jesus. In fact, 11 of Jesus' 12 uh, closest followers 
went to their deaths. And all of them went to their deaths more admirably than Jesus. If you don't believe me, this is, this is, what, uh, this is what Jesus actually says about when he's nearly, nearly about to die. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. When it comes to, to facing his own death, Jesus didn't, just didn't man up, Jesus didn't harden up, Jesus didn't just go all in. Jesus was crushed with grief to the point of death. And some of his followers who observed him in this period of time, while this was happening, this is what they wrote about him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. If you and I were to see someone experiencing this right now, we would say they're in the extreme stages of shock. They are experiencing a high, huge, huge level of stress. Jesus, Jesus doesn't go to his death. and uh, 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 A hero, Jesus goes to his death in agony. And the reason why, in order to understand why Jesus goes to his death in this way, is found in this Christian idea of the Trinity. And the Trinity is this idea that God is actually tri-personal, which means while God is one, there's, there's three persons that make up God, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity or the Godhead. And, and this Trinity, the Trinity has existed since before time, since before space and before matter, and they existed in this perfect relationship in this perfect union, one anothering and loving one another in an absolutely perfect way. And for those of you, for those of you who have experienced the loss of a loved one in your life, I don't have to tell you the reality that there is nothing that can compare to losing a relationship that you were not ready to lose and losing a relationship that you wanted to continue. There is nothing that can fill that hole. There is nothing that can fill that void. And the Trinity has been in this perfect relationship since the beginning of history. And humanity steps away. And Jesus said, in order, in order for them to experience love, in order for them to experience freedom, I have to do the unthinkable and I have to break up this perfect union. And I have to step into history and give my life so that they, so that humanity has a way to come back to God. And as Jesus is experiencing this separation of this perfect relationship on the cross, as the weight of sin is crushing, uh, uh, is crushing him, the Father is watching this happen with tears streaming down his face, not uh, wanting to do something, but knowing that humanity is on the line and Jesus has freely chosen to do this to every single person that ever existed. And this is what Jesus says as he's hanging there on the cross experiencing that extreme loss of relationship. He says this. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And we look at that, right? And we see him and we're like, oh, geez, not a very good father. We're going to sing later tonight, good, good father. And we look at that and we're like, God is anything but a good, good father. Like, he's a terrible father. And it's because we focus on this word and we miss the first part of what Jesus is saying. He says, my God, my God. In the moment, 
that Jesus is experiencing this cosmic rejection. He says, I know, I know why we had to be, I know why I had to abandon, you had to abandon me, I know why I abandoned you, I know why I severed this relationship for this period of time. But even in that moment, he says, my God, my God, he, he says that there is, there's already this intimacy, there's this intimacy and the reason that he's, uh, that, and he's into, uh, kind of moving towards that and helping us to understand that he's yearning for that reconnection. And that God hasn't really abandoned him. But he's feeling the weight of w- what he is having to do by dying on the cross so we could experience a relationship with him. And the truth of the matter is that just as Jesus cries out, when we experience suffering, the truth is that, well, sorry, Christianity, let's back up. Christianity, every worldview has to answer it, right? And Jesus in that moment on the cross answers it by embracing it. Christianity is the only worldview. You will not find another worldview and you will not find another, another God who actually steps into history and says, you know what? Let me take care of this. In fact, author and pastor Tim Keller, he says this, he says, if we again ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue and we look to the cross of Jesus, we still don't know what the answer is. It's, it's still a difficult one. But, however, we know what the answer isn't. And this is what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. And here's the reason why it can't be either of those two things. Because God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it upon himself. God doesn't sit back. In fact, the God of Christianity says, you know what, there is evil and there is suffering in the world and you know who is on the hook for it? Me. And so God steps into history as Jesus and he puts himself on the hook for evil. He puts himself on the hook for suffering. He says, humanity caused this, but I'll take the brunt for it. I'll bear the weight that needs to be borne and I will sever my own perfect relationship in order to restore humanity's relationship with God. And the reason I believe he does it is because of this, that suffering never leaves you spiritually neutral. No matter who you are or what kind of household you grew up in, when you suffer, it never leaves you spiritually neutral. It either pushes you towards God or pulls you away from God. But it never leaves you in the same place that you started. And so as we bring this to a close tonight, I... We have this thing called For Monday, which is really the application point of all we've been talking about tonight. And I've got kind of two, and they kind of sit into sort of two broad categories. The first one is for those of you who would say, you know what, yeah, I would, I would consider myself a follower of Jesus. The first one are those of you, and for those, uh, the second one is for those of you who are like, I'm not sure, I've got questions, or maybe you're like, nah, this is not my jam. Okay, so we've got, got everyone in the room, hopefully everyone in the room covered. And so for those of you who are a follower of Jesus, and you've experienced suffering. Here's my question I want you to think about this week. Where have you moved? When you experienced that suffering in your life, did it draw you closer to God? Or did it move you further away? Did it cause you to shift and say, you know what, I'm not sure if I want this anymore, God. 
I'm not sure if I can, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm up for this. I'm not sure if I want to believe in you. And if you have moved away, here's, here's what I want to do this week. Here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to let God have it. Why don't you pray to God? Maybe this is the first time you've prayed to God since, since you can't remember. But I want you to just be super honest with God and say, God, you know what? I thought you had my back. What, what's this about? Why have I experienced this? Why have I encountered this? Why am I going through this right now? And lay it out there. Tell God exactly how you're feeling. And the reason why I want you to do it, the reason why I want you to get this off your chest is because when you move away from God in the midst of suffering, it's usually because we're not connecting. And that when you begin to start to pray, even if you're angry at God, you're moving and stepping towards God. And we'll show you why that's important in a minute but you're actually beginning to re-engage and move closer to the God who embraced suffering. And for those of you who are not sure about it, you're kind of anti it maybe, here's, here's what I want you to ponder this week. What's your alternative explanation? I get it. I get it that maybe the whole Jesus thing isn't your answer, but, but what is your alternative explanation? What, how is it when someone comes to you and says, how do you address evil and suffering? It's not enough to just say, well, I'm not in favor of Christianity, I'm not in favor of Islam, I'm not in favor of Hinduism, I'm not in favor of Buddhism, I'm not in favor of, in favor of any of those things. You've got to actually be able to say, this is how I answer the question. And it's got to hold up. This is how I experience the world through that tension. And here's why I would encourage you as a result of your suffering, to begin to follow Jesus and Christians. This is where it is so important because at the end of it all, this is what really separates Christianity. It offers hope. It says, you know what? God entered into history, not to, not to be a magic genie that makes everything better, but Jesus entered into history to give you hope, to say, you know what? The suffering that you're going through, one day will end. The suffering you're going through has a finish line. And when you step over into eternity, that suffering will be gone. And that suffering won't be a part of humanity anymore. And when Jesus rose from the grave, and when he conquered sin and death, he put a finish point on suffering as we know. And so that means that we have hope. And for those of you who are not sure, and maybe you're pushing back, here's the final thing. That I believe that the God who embraces suffering longs to embrace you. In the midst of the suffering that you're going through, Jesus sits there. And Jesus says, I can feel the pain. I can feel the hurt. Because I've experienced it. Jesus is not a distant God. Jesus is a God who knows exactly what it feels, exactly the hurt and what it means to suffer. And when you have a God that can connect and resonate with you, you have an immeasurable depth of ability to cope with the suffering because now no longer is God distant. He is right beside you saying, I've been there, but don't worry. There's I want you to be able to experience and live in that hope this week. So let's pray. Jesus, this is never an easy conversation to have. It's never easy 
to talk about and bring up the ways in which we suffered, mainly because often we try to forget the ways in which we suffered. We try to move it to the side because it's painful and it hurts. But Lord, I pray tonight that the people, and over the next week, that people would begin to come face to face with their suffering. That they would be, begin to look it in the eye. And for some people, maybe they would ask the question, you know, where have I moved? In the midst of everything that was going on, have I walked away from God? Have I maybe thought God was something that he wasn't? Have I maybe mis- misunderstood that, that Jesus actually embraced suffering for me, that Jesus actually entered into suffering for me? And Lord, I pray that this week, that maybe this is the first time that people experience hope and people experience it, that if their faith is placed in you, that there is a day and a time will come where suffering is wiped away and they would have the opportunity to live in that hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name.